On this week's podcast, we're talking all about swimming. We chat with Uber swimmer, Ironman champ, and first out of the water at Kona, Haley Chura. But Haley didn't just compete in the Olympic swim trials and win a national swimming championship back in college. She also ran the Olympic marathon trials back in February. We talk about what that was like. It was the craziest experience of her life. Plus, how life has taken some crazy turns and how she all got started down this pro path after a bet with her boss at her accounting firm. And first, we talk with Jurgen Malo, the head of the research team at the famous extreme triathlon Norseman. He tells us about some of the research they've been doing there, how the cold and conditions affect triathletes, and some of the changes they've made for athlete safety. He also talks to us about swimming-induced pulmonary edema, or SIPE. As researchers have learned more about SIPE, they're realizing it may be what causes the majority of deaths that occur in the swim. Though, we have a lot more studying to do before we know why it happens to some people and not others, and what can be done about it. If you're interested in reading the story on Saipi, we've included a link in the show notes. This story is the first in a series where we're diving deep into the science behind endurance sports. It's a series exclusive to our Active Pass members. Active Pass is our membership program, which gives you access to gear discounts, events like Hawaii from Home, books, magazines, training plans, and exclusive in-depth content. And right now, we're offering Triathlete Pass, unique to triathlete readers and listeners, at a 15% discount. Use the code TRIHOUR, T-R-I-HOUR, 15, all lowercase, TRIHOUR15 at triathlete.com backslash ActivePass. Even though most of us aren't racing right now, we're all still focused on our overall health and well-being. That's where MitoQ comes in. Like everything else in our body, our mitochondria become less efficient as we age. From the age of 30 on, levels of CoQ10 in the mitochondria can decline by 10% with each passing decade. This means our body's natural resilience also declines, which can impact our training, recovery, immunity, digestion, sleep, stress, hormones, and brain power. This is why a new supplement called MitoQ is becoming increasingly popular among athletes. It helps the body to better absorb intense training periods and recover faster. Some athletes have even noted improved VO2 max, heart rate variability, and lactate thresholds. When you combine those things with not needing as long to recover and being able to maintain more intense training cycles, you can see why it might result in performance gains. To learn more about MitoQ's unique formula, independent clinical trials, and athlete testimonials, visit www.mitoq.com. That's M-I-T-O-Q.com. All right, this week we're talking to Jurgen Melau. I hope I pronounced that right. The head of the Norseman research team. So tell us a little bit about, for people who don't know, Norseman's a crazy extreme triathlon, self-supported across Norway. Why do you guys have a research team? Like, what does that entail? How did it get started? Well, that's uh, kind of like a very interesting story. At least I think so. <laughs> uh, I am. Um, I have been for about fifteen years now. I have been the safety director on uh, Norseman. And uh, if you guys don't know uh, Norseman, it's kind of like a um, when when people talk about really hard extreme endurance races, they often talk about Norseman, and I can't say for sure that Norseman is the hardest, but it certainly is one of the races that are mentioned when the hard races are brought off right. uh, in the discussion. Yeah. 
So um, the the race is in uh, Norway, and it's uh, it's uh, very hilly. It's called water. It's uh, also called in the mountains when the uh, racing, both on the bike track and on the run, we actually had snow on the finish line uh, some some years. So it's, it's kind of like a very brutal race I think. right that's what i hear um, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and then to to start uh, with the yeah the research that we are going to talk about here today uh, we uh, five years ago in 2015 we um, were in the um, in the, the swim area a few days before the race in eidfjord a beautiful place in uh, western norway and uh, we measured 10 degrees Celsius in the water. That's about that's uh, 50 Fahrenheit uh, water temperature. And uh, I, I would say that for most Norwegian, at least, that is something. That's a water temperature that you can do a dip in <laughs> for a very short, uh, like. Uh, a 30 second swim but to swim for um, you know like a good athletes swim about in 50 minutes and but the, the slow athletes will use about two hours on a on a long distance uh, swim uh, so we were really don't uh, we weren't very sure if that was a safe thing to do right. <laughs> to, to to do the swim that year. Uh, so what we did first, we did the test swim myself and my uh, yeah one of my safety colleagues, and then we decided to shorten the, the swim uh, in in half. And then um, after the race, uh, my colleague in the safety crew said to me, you should do a PhD on this because <laughs> there is not much knowledge about this. And this guy was a professor in physiology, Johnny Hiestau. So with a lot of coincidence, uh, I started to do a PhD in cold water swimming okay. five years ago, five years ago. And I do that half time, so that's why it's taking <laughs> taking so long time. But uh, the last uh, years, we our research group has uh, grown because uh, uh, it's a very uh, well. Let's put it this way: it's very easy to do research on triathletes because they are really keen on gadgets and <laughs> stuff they can try out and test. So, um, so it's it's kind of like. Um, yeah, it's easy to get people to say yes to participate in the research projects uh, from the triathlete community, and also on, on Norsemen they push their bodies to the extreme. So actually, we are doing a lot of research now on Norsemen that's um, about how the body is affected by extreme endurance races. Right. So um, we do temperature physiology. That is kind of like my uh, area, my expertise area. But we also do research on how the uh, heart is affected by uh, by uh, very hard physical activities. Also the lungs and um, yeah, uh, lots of uh, research from different. Uh, 
medical areas about how the body is affected by uh, by such hard uh, hard races. Okay, so there's just like a um, bunch of different kinds of research being done on athletes at Norseman. Is there anything that's come out of the research that then has changed? You know what we know yeah. how we how we treat a race. Yeah, I would uh, first of all the uh, research projects uh, or um, to do research it's painfully slow. <laughs> so the, res- the results take some years before they are out. That's because that's not because we as researchers are very very slow people, but it's it's because just the re- the research. Uh, um kind of work is is um, like that but we have some very interesting results already i think uh, one of the well to talk about my kind of expertise area we know that uh, a lot of athletes will get cooler uh, when they get out of the cold water mm-hmm. so even if they are out of the cold water they still uh, get uh, get cooler uh, when they start their um, their uh, cycling uh, part of the race uh, so that's that's one interesting topic that has made some of the manufacturers of um, of uh, gear and clothing for athletes that's uh, taken into account some of them like hube and yeah some other manufacturers um but uh, and we has done some case report that's it uh, on Saipi, uh, that's right. uh, also featured in uh, in triathletes uh, now, uh, and um, uh, but we have also have some interesting stuff uh, coming up the next uh, months and years uh, about um, both uh, how the heart is affected, the lungs, how they are affected, and uh, yeah. Okay. So there is much uh, interesting coming. <laughs> okay, coming okay. Up. So we have to like stay yeah. tuned because you guys, I mean, yeah. you take like all kinds of vitals. You like have people swallow temperature pills. Like yeah. you're pretty, pretty intense. Yeah, it is pretty intense. Uh, we make uh, sure not to affect how the athletes race, so we don't uh, do anything about uh, on them during the race. But uh, but uh, like the temperature pose, that's uh, <laughs> again that's that's my my project. Is this full of a temperature pill a few hours before race starts, and then they just can forget it. So the the, the temperature is uh, pills is measuring temperature every minute inside uh, their core and store it in the pill, and we can read it after uh, after the race. So the the athletes are not in any way affected by swallowing that pill. Well, it's it's kind of like a MacGyver or James <laughs> James Bond film. <laughs> it's a, pretty uh, exciting. And then they also do blood sampling or measure different biomarkers on the athletes before the race and and then again uh, at the finish line and uh, they uh, or two after race and that's also very very interesting because we can can see um that um, uh, some of the athletes have uh, have strained their heart in a very very um hard way yeah. so if they have been Instead of being on the finish line, they have been in the emergency department on the hospital. The nurses and doctors would have measured uh, biomarkers and all the vitals, like they were having like a heart attack or hmm. cardiac failure. So 
but they don't. But uh, the, the when they cross the finish line, they're really, really their their heart and lungs and kidneys and uh, yeah, a lot of different. Uh, uh, physiology is uh, heavily affected by the race. We can see right. that. But uh, it is like uh, a normal patient or a critical patient in the emergency department, they would not uh, recover from it. But the athletes, they are recovering uh, well after a day or two. So right, right. I mean, most people, most difference. people recover after a race eventually. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> so you mentioned um, Saipi, which is swimming induced pulmonary edema. And we did just do a story about that. But I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this. Cold water swimming is kind of your specialty. What are some of the things you guys have studied uh, and the risks, you know, associated with cold water swimming? Well, uh, the risk is the, uh, we, we actually, before we started to study this, we were having a uh, understanding that hypothermia would be a risk but we can now see that that's probably not the case yeah, okay. uh, of course you can get hypothermic by swimming very for a very long time in cold water but that's actually not what we are most concerned about now what we are most concerned about is uh, what's happening to the heart uh, when you suddenly jump into cold water because you get a, an intense stress on the heart that is um, it's called an autonomic conflict but but it's kind of like a um, the diving reflex and the um, the cold shock that is uh, working on the heart at the same time when you jump uh, straight into water on on some people uh, and if you are um, already at the risk this can be very very dangerous okay so that that is the autonomic conflict it is one thing uh, we are a bit concerned about for for some athletes and then there is saipi uh, which we don't know much uh, they don't know enough about uh, at this time so we are hoping to find out much more about saipi in the future but at the moment we are at least we are <laughs> not sure where we should uh, look so that's also one of the reasons that we collect so many different types of data at the norseman so we can maybe get the clue uh, in the future about where to look uh, more closely. What you're saying, I mean, essentially, if I think I got this right, was like swimming induced pulmonary edema or SIPE, it's kind of like your body over and your lungs start filling up with fluid, but we don't really know why it happens to some athletes, sometimes, not other times. We don't know who's at risk, but it seems to be possibly what leads to some of these deaths in, in the swim leg, right? Yeah, you are uh, probably right about that. And uh, pulmonary edema, we know very well because that's mm -hmm. a very kind of like a common thing in the emergency department and on the hospitals. So we know very well what pulmonary edema is, but we don't know why the swimming-induced pulmonary edema occurs. Uh, right. now. But we, but it, 
it seems like uh, th there are more and more po swimming induced pulmonary edemas and that's one of the reasons is that we are uh, no more aware of it mm -hmm. and it's probably more people that does triathlon uh, so it's occur more often but it has been known for a very long time because uh, um, i have a background from the military and in the armed forces at least in the navy and like on the combat divers and navy seals teams and things like that they they have has uh, have had a site for for years but the thing is that uh, the military community doesn't always uh, share <laughs> share results like that uh, in the same way that you can do from uh, triathlon so but but now it's uh, now it's um, yeah well known also in the triathlete community but we we don't know um, exactly why it occurs yet but i think uh, um as also featured in your story, uh, Dr. Moon, uh, he is doing some, uh, and his team is doing some very, very important uh, work. Uh, uh, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're going to find out uh, in the future, but uh, for now, I, I can't, right. I can't uh, okay. say say much more about <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, and you uh, mentioned so the other. I mean, the other thing you just mentioned there was the the reflex that happens to some people when they dive do we know who it happens to or why or yeah we do that's that's uh, kind of uh, that that's a very new um, theory i would call it uh, in the uh, in the community uh, but it's very well established uh, by uh, some very good uh, researchers from uh, Great Britain, uh, Mike Tipton and his team. Uh, and we, so we do know a lot about that now, but we don't know who is most at risk mm. uh, at the moment. But we do know that if you have some underlying uh, heart um, conditions, you I certainly have a higher risk of uh, of this uh, type of autonomic conflict that we right. huh. are a bit worried about. So um, jumping straight into cold water, and that's uh, that's a risk. So what we do at Norseman now, after we have uh, have uh, discovered and learned more about this, is that we spray. Because Norsemen start on, from a ferry, so we shuttle the uh, athletes out on the fjord on a ferry, and then they have to jump in the dark <laughs> out in the cold water from the ferry. And uh, so what we do now, we spray the athletes on the ferry while they are waiting on the ferry with uh, this cold seawater. So they uh, are, um, so their body uh, can adjust to the cold water, and we believe that that's reduce the risk of getting this autonomic conflict and oh. cold shock. And yeah, so, are there any other changes like that that you guys have made as a result of you know some of the things you've learned? Yeah, I, I I think spraying the athletes and preparing them for the uh, cold water is uh, one of the main things we have done and found out. And then we know a lot more about Saipi uh, now uh, that uh, make our medical team more prepared to look for it and also 
and also um, treat it uh, if it occurs. So that's also one of the uh, really uh, main findings uh, for us. And uh, then um, I would say that we know uh, more um, about uh, how to treat the patients when they are uh, crossing the finish line. Because uh, then, because uh, uh, the last part of Norseman is only uphill for uh, the 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 run is obviously forty two kilometers uh, marathon, but the last uh, fifteen kilometers is uh, only up uphill, and it's uphill in the uh, kind of like a rocky, stony mountain. <laughs> right. The last part. So they are really, really exhausted when they cross the finish line. And uh, we have learned some uh, very good kind of like findings and information about how the body reacts uh, when they cross the finish line. Hmm. Okay. Are there any things you would want to tell athletes like that they should know or any like key safety issues? (laughs) (laughs) The, the thing we get most questions about is uh, is um, by far uh, Saipi. Right. And uh, so I would like to mention how to um, look for Saipi on yourself or on your swim buddies or, or at, uh, at races. And that is if you are breathing heavily uh, without uh, – because you have to – you have to um, understand when you are breathing heavy uh, out of uh, something that is pathological. I, I probably didn't pronounce that right, but but you, you also get uh, you breathe heavy when you are uh, exhausted. Right. But that's not the same. <laughs> right. But if you're breathing heavily in a kind of like a different way that you would expect just from being ex- exhausted then you should probably think yeah, on Saipi. And if you are coughing out, uh, up uh, um, um, pinkish fluid, then you are quite certain that you should uh, stop what you're doing and, and uh, suspect uh, Saipi. So okay. I, I think that is... Uh, I think that is a good thing for athletes to know uh, about. And then I have to say that uh, it's uh, we shouldn't uh, overestimate uh, the occurrence of Saipi because it is very uh, rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so you you shouldn't be afraid of Saipi when you are out uh, swimming. But if uh, you you kind of like discover on your swim buddies or somebody else uh, the, the, the signs, uh, then you sh- yeah, then uh, then I think that's a good thing to to learn just to look for. Right. Look so like for look signs. for them. It's like it's like it feels like shortness of breath, really hard, lots of yeah. heavy breathing, coughing up stuff. Yeah. You should stop swimming yeah. then. <laughs> you should definitely get out. <laughs> you should stop swimming. And uh, our um, experience with CIP is that all the athletes are out of the water already. Mm. They are on the bike uh, when they are experiencing uh, Saipi. Hmm. So um, you have to 
consider it also on the the bike actually that that's at least our um, experience with it but that's um, that's i think that's important to mention and the other thing i just want to tell is the same thing as um, i already has mentioned about the danger of jumping straight into cold water right because uh, you, sh- you should uh, walk slowly into into cold water if you are forced to enter into cold water you should uh, enter it slowly or uh, spray yourself in uh, cold water before you jump uh, jump into it so okay. uh, yeah mm. well those are good tips and um and we will include a link to you know the more information to the story about Saipi and and all the research you guys are doing. And thank you so much for for all of the information. Yeah, that's my pleasure. Nice being here. Many of us have heard of supplementing our training with CoQ10 for energy and recovery. Well, MitoQ is a unique form of CoQ10 specially engineered to get inside the mitochondria to help create cellular energy and neutralize free radicals. It helps improve recovery, immunity, digestion, sleep, and stress, all of which will help you train better and be healthier. To learn more about the unique formula of MitoQ, independent clinical trials, and athlete testimonials, visit www.mitoq.com. That's M-I-T-O-Q.com. All right, this week we're talking to Haley Chera, Ironman champ, 70.3 champ, first out of the water at Kona. And obviously the host of the Iron Woman podcast. Is that what you're like most famous for now? The podcast, definitely. I feel like that is what I'm most recognized for these days, which is odd because it's audio only. But I was checking into a hotel at a race last year and I was talking to uh, the person at the front desk and a woman was like, I know who you are from my (laughs) voice. So that is that is probably my crowning achievement these days. Good, good. And you've been doing a lot, which we'll like totally talk about uh, during this pandemic because, you know, there's nothing else going on. What else are you doing? Are you training? You're in Bozeman. Do you guys have snow yet? I know. I, I joked that we probably will have snow within the next month. And that's like a scary thought. Right now, it's honestly the weather's been perfect for the last couple months. I enjoy my summer big time here because, as you know, it, it doesn't last. And so... It's the long days, the warm temperatures. I try not to complain too much about the heat since I know a lot of people are dealing with warmer temperatures. But when it's like it's, you know, 50 or 60 degrees in the morning and then in the 70s or 80s in the afternoon, it's pretty nice. But I'm training. I'm training. Probably not Ironman level training. We're not doing quite the same level that I would be if I had a fall Ironman on the schedule. But I enjoy being fit and being healthy. And I think that has been motivation enough for me in the last couple of months to, to continue training, even doing some hard workouts, but I have managed to throw in a few kind of adventure, adventure workouts that I probably wouldn't normally do during a normal triathlon season for my birthday. I did, I ran the course of this kind of famous, um, trail run. It's called the Bridger Ridge run. And the race isn't happening this year. It was canceled, but I got to run the course and it's about 20 miles and it's point to point. And I think it had around 6,000 feet of climbing and 9,000 feet of descending in, and that, that 9,000 feet of descent mostly comes in the last five miles. And for obvious reasons, I wouldn't do that during a normal, <laughs> uh, triathlon season because I was so sore after it was incredible. It was so much fun. I'm so glad I got to do it. It's this iconic race. That's just like in my backyard. And it was, it was a lot of fun and we had terrible, terrible weather, but that kind of almost added to the experience. I did it with a couple of friends and 
Um, so that's been kind of a fun thing where you get okay. to use your fitness in a non-traditional way or non-traditional to swim, bike, run. Right, right, right. Trying different things. Maybe I'll like talk you into some more random over the winter adventures. It'll be great. I know the winter adventures is something like I haven't really explored even living in Bozeman. <laughs> I, I don't ski much. I did as a kid. I don't now. I, um, I enjoy running in the snow, even though it's really hard and really slow. But yeah, maybe you can talk me into something. Okay. I mean, fat biking, maybe. Okay. Like, yeah, that sounds reasonable. Cross-country skiing. It's going to be big this winter is what I hear. So That's what they say. I've tried cross-country skiing. And I feel like cross-country skiing is like the swimming of skiing where – you you can have you need an aerobic engine obviously but you also need some like specific skills and i'm missing those specific skills so i'm just like flailing all over the place but it's fun <laughs> you did actually get to race this year you are one of the people who got a big race in because you did the olympic trials even though you're a swimmer you actually like ran a 243 last fall and got to do the olympic marathon trials back in february which was crazy right it was like a crazy experience it seemed awesome it was so awesome. I mean, it was one of the coolest experiences I've had in sport, which I think says something because I've been an athlete since I was like four or five years old. So I've had a lot of experiences in sport <laughs> and I, I, I kind of decided to do the, to try to qualify for the U S Olympic marathon trials on a friend kind of was like, do you think you could do it? And my initial reaction was like, no, cause the qualifying time was two forty five. My best marathon was a three Oh eight off the bike. <laughs> and I mean, a 308 sounds kind of fast off the bike, but I'm, I'm a pretty good off the bike runner. And so I wasn't, I wasn't sure I could necessarily go much faster. And, um, and that's 25 minutes. That's a lot of minutes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not like, yeah, it's not like, oh yeah. So I, um, but it got in my head and with the trials happening in Atlanta, I used to live in Atlanta. I lived there for 10 years. It's where I got my start in, in triathlon. It's just a really, really special endurance community to me. And it kind of just set up last year where I was like, you know what? I can do this. I can train for a couple months, run California International Marathon, which is a, a favorite race for trying to get a qualifying time and just see what happens. And so I'm so glad I did because it did. I ran a 243 at CIM, which was incredible. It was honestly just like a race where everything clicked. Like <laughs> I have never paced a race so well. And <laughs> it was it was really stressful mentally because as you know, as a runner, I mean, you're, you're, especially when you're running like about at your like max speed, because 615s was 615 per mile was my, my goal pace. And a lot of that was because the math was easy. Cause you're talking about <laughs> 25 minutes every four miles. And I'm like, I can handle this. And so I'm like, don't go, you know, five seconds too fast or five seconds too slow per mile. Like you want to hit right on 615. So it's very, very stressful because in an in a Ironman, in a triathlon, you're kind of like all over the place and you're like going up a hill and you're like, okay, whatever. I'm about, I'm within a minute per mile than my goal. But this one, I'm like, keep within like five seconds and especially early. And to have that come together was really special. And I recognize that doesn't happen all that often in no. sport. So I'm glad I got to really experience that, have a great race day. And then the actual trials experience was just kind of icing on the cake. It was a completely different course. I mean, it was hard. It was really hard. It had like 1400 feet of climbing in a marathon, which for a road marathon is, is pretty significant. It was insanely windy that day. And it was also just the hype was incredible. I've, I've never, I've been in a lot of championship races and to have so much hype where you had the biggest women's field in history. There were like more 200, than 400. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Women. Yeah. For, more than 400 women, which was like, I think in the pre in 
2016, same qualifying time, 245, there had been 200 women. Right. So double in four years. And a lot of it was just the hype. And when you start to see other women qualify who you're like, wait a second, I've run with her and she went 245. Cause I think I had never broken three hours in a marathon. And so like, if I was just going to run a marathon, I think my natural progression and my goal would have been three hours. But because the OTQ was 245, I'm like, okay, here, going broke, going 245. So I think that had something to do with it too. Just seeing all these other women going for that and being like, okay, I'm going to try. And then, um, the Atlanta track club really just did an incredible job of making us all feel like extremely welcomed and wanted. And they had this whole, like really message of equality where they're like, we are going to treat everyone who qualified equally. And they provided support in, um, I think it was like $300 toward our flight and a shared hotel room or else you got your own hotel room. So you got to choose between those two, but that's a pretty significant amount of financial help for a lot of people, which I think also may have helped get a lot more women to actually go when they qualified. Because people said, I mean, obviously, it's a question of whether or not, you know, they, that was like the Atlantic track, Atlanta Track Club, uh, it cost them a lot of money, whether or not that's going to be like sustainable. But it was amazing for the running community. Like women came out in droves, I feel like, to do marathons to like, there, I mean, there were a ton more people who ran 250s last year because they were chasing it. There was just, I felt like a trickle down of support and, you know, interest in the sport. Yes. I mean, the, the person who, who asked me that question, my friend, Shelly, she, she's a swimmer. Like she was, she grew up swimming and now she's a runner, but she wasn't someone who was like totally really in the weeds of the running community, but she got so into the marathon trials because of all these women qualifying. And, and she knew more about the people on the course than I did probably. And, and that was really neat because I had so many friends and family come out and cheer. And it was a three loop course right in the middle of Atlanta, downtown Atlanta, right up and down Peachtree street. And it was so cool to have people from all parts of my life. I mean, there were like 200,000 people cheering Kelly. It was insane. The biggest crowds of my life. It was a deafening roar. I have never had anything like that where just you couldn't even hear yourself think when you came, when you made that first turn, like you start and then you made that turn on Peachtree and it was just, the noise was insane. <laughs> and, and I know that we're talking about this like a couple months later when races have all been canceled and we've all been alone for months at a time. And to think that I was in one of the biggest crowds of my life, uh, you know, giving more hugs than I've ever <laughs> like given in my three entire weeks life before quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I mean, that's kind of scary and crazy, but it was, I mean, I'm so glad I got to have that experience and it left me very fulfilled and just feeling like sport does matter. And I'm, I'm so thankful I got to be part of that historic race. And I'm so thankful that at, you know, age 34, who would have thought that I could have one of the coolest experiences of my athletic career in my mid thirties. I think that's a, that's a very, very interesting thing. And if you told me that when I was 20, I would have been like, ha ha ha, you know, you're crazy. (laughs) I mean, when you were 20, you were on the university of Georgia swim team. Let's talk about this because obviously now you're like, Oh, an Olympic trials runner, but you actually are a swimmer. uh, That's what you started as. (laughs) (laughs) At university and you swim at university of Georgia, you guys won a national championship. So yeah, I could see how you'd be like, Oh, this is the height. This is the peak at 20. What is it like being on that good a swim team? Oh, it has totally influenced my like entire (laughs) athletic career. It was 
that was one of the coolest things I've done in my life was get myself <laughs> onto that swim team. I wasn't a standout high school swimmer. I was pretty good. I was, I was good. I mean, I had you're like, you made, I yeah, felt, I mean, come on, you're okay. Well, <laughs> I think I had, I got third at nationals, um, in the 200 backstroke, my senior year of high school. So I was a late bloomer with swimming. My junior and senior year were pretty good. And so that made me, made it so I could, I could get on a team like the university of Georgia. And that was my goal. I had been on a lot of swim teams as in high school where there were one or two of us who were going to these big swim meets. And sometimes it was hard because I would qualify for finals and I would go back. And some of my teammates would get to go like go to the mall or go to a movie. <laughs> and I was like, wait a second. And I was like, you know what? I want to be on a team where everyone's going to finals. And that is what I, I set out for. And so I was really nervous to go to the University of Georgia. I realized I was going to be the small fish in the big pond. And and I I thought maybe it'd bring out the best of me. And I think it did. And it is wild. I mean, half the team like had Olympic ring tattoos already <laughs> when you like and when you get on deck and our pool was just incredible. And it's funny because I had someone ask, they're like, what happened if you showed up late for practice when you were at Georgia? And I'm like, I don't know. I never saw anyone do that. Like <laughs> for years, like you just didn't like, there was so much respect for everything and respect for each other. And, and you know, the seniors would really set this tone that was, we are in this together. We are in this as a team. Like you are going to do everything you can to get the most out of yourself and you do it for the team. And that didn't matter if you were someone who was, winning every single individual event at NCAAs, or if you were trying to qual like score one point at NCAAs, um, or if you're just a person who is, is really working hard in practice and getting the most out of the person next to you. So I think it was, it, it really did influence me. I saw how like we could collaborate together as a team, how you can be competitors and best friends and roommates and eat every meal together and go to class together <laughs> and do everything together. And like, and it was, I think, that it, and it's it's still really cool because you talk about the um marathon trials my roommate was carolyn joyce at, at georgia who went to the olympics three times for the united states and she won four silver medals and her family came out and cheered for me in atlanta and they were on the sidelines and they had they had uh signs and i'm like these people have been cheering for me <laughs> for like 17 years. I mean, that's crazy. And they're still cheering for me and they cheer for me just as hard getting 305th at the Olympic marathon trials as they did for Kara winning the uh, U.S. swimming trials in 2004. And so I think that's pretty neat too. And I had another, one of my teammates from Georgia who she came out and cheered and she texted me after and she's like, man, I gotta be honest. I wish that was me out there. And, <laughs> and that was the whole point, right. Of having that big field right, and, right. and getting, yeah, you can you can be a swimmer when you're in your 20s, and then you just you just need to get a longer event. <laughs> you could even be a backstroker. In your 20s I know. I was gonna say. I think you and I were talking at one point. I don't know if anyone else had the range because you were like swimming Olympic trials, 200 meter backstroke, and then marathon Olympic trials. That is some uh, discrepancy in race length, right? Right. Like two minutes versus two hours and 40 minutes or two hours and 50 minutes close to three hours. I mean, it's, yeah, it's crazy because even when I was a swimmer, like I was not a distance freestyler. I was a backstroker, 200 backstroke and 400 IM. So we're talking my longest five minutes, you know, less than five <laughs> minutes. And so, and I thought of the mile or the 1500 as so long, you know, when I was swimming and now looking back, like maybe after doing Ironman, I'm like, Maybe I should have been doing distance three. <laughs> Maybe, but probably. This is what Steve said, my husband, when you were telling us this or whatever, at some at some race we were talking, he was like, why didn't she do the mile? <laughs> like, as a swimmer. 
Ah, <laughs> uh, you've never felt the burn of the last 15 meters of a 200 backstroke. Your let the leg burn is like nothing you've experienced in life. And I mean, it's not something I really, I really miss that much, but I miss that I was able to do what I was able to do. So I had a, I had a lot of fun and a good time being a backstroker. And now I, I, I still actually do probably more backstroke than the mm. average triathlete just because I love it, but I do it a lot slower than I used to. Oh, uh, well, now I, I bet you're still like one of those people that like is lapping me in the pool doing backstroke. I feel like how fast can you what is your 200 backstroke like PR now? I'm just curious. Oh, I mean, I don't even know. I my PR is a 214, which mm. was fast in 2004. Not quite as fast now, but <laughs> I uh, that's long course meters. And then now I bet if I did a long course meters, turn it back. I wouldn't I bet I could I, I think maybe I could break 230. Maybe uh, that might be. <laughs> Maybe go for 240. Okay. I don't know. I mean, I haven't done that in a long time, but I did it once like post my, one of my, I was swimming masters, I think in Atlanta, I did a get out swim, which is like, oh yeah. If you I don't make know if a time, with, everybody gets out of yeah, the pool. Everyone yeah. Gets out. And then this is like, I did so many of those when I was in college and my college coach, he actually, when I've gone back to visit, he's like, Hey, you did more get out swims than anyone. And, and I actually give myself a lot of credit for that because it's like really stressful. And it I is. was a good, I was a very, very good practice swimmer, I think. And I cared so much about my team that I went, I think one time I almost went a best time in my hunter backstroke in at the end of practice, trying to get my team out because I felt like more pressure, like trying to get us out of practice than I probably did, uh, in like a race just for get myself. Get out swims so, are stressful. Cause they're always like, if no one's ever done them, it's like, Oh, if Haley can swim this under a minute, then everyone is out of practice. But if she does it, then we're all doing IMs. And you're like, <laughs> yes, I actually challenged, I think Julie Dibbins and Dee Dee Griesbauer. We were all 200 backstrokers, oh. all three of us. And I said that like, if we're ever all together in Kona, we should do a 200 backstroke and just see what happens. 100%. So, Yes. Maybe that maybe you can make that happen. Maybe triathlete. I definitely uh, think we should make this happen. You should come to Boulder and they're here and we'll like line this up. It'll be great. It'll be really fun. Oh yeah, you're right. I don't even we don't even have to go to Kona. No. I could just come to Boulder. I think this I mean I I like I think they might have faster PRs than me too. So, I don't know. This could be a good race. Yeah. There what you do go. you think? I think this, is, you it. Put this money is on. <laughs> <laughs> um I want to ask you, though, because you were obviously, obviously, obviously swimming was a really big deal in college and you were like very dedicated. You went to the Olympic trials. But then you were just like done, right? You were just like, OK, now I'm going to get a real job, be an accountant. How did you find triathlon? Why? Oh, goodness. This is like a crazy story because I think I I was pretty ready to be done. I was <laughs> like, you know, what? I'm going to make money like that was my like biggest goal. And I it was kind of two things. One was very early in my, um, accounting career, my boss, like, uh, I give, I use the word boss sort of loosely there. He was like my boss's 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 boss, like the partner, like the lead of our, I mean, accounting is very hierarchical and I was brand new staff accountant and he's like the, like lead of our department of the audit department. And he was like, you know what? You should run a marathon. And as like a very, very new person, I'm like, oh goodness, I have to do this. Otherwise I might lose my job <laughs> or something. And, um, and so he gave me this training plan out of runner's world and I just followed it. Like I, it was, it was just like mileage. It wasn't workouts or anything. And it was just like, hit this mileage on these days. And I, he actually ran the marathon. So we, I trained for it and we ran the Memphis marathon. I was with two partners. So him and another guy and 
it was, I was so nervous to have dinner with them the night before. So that was what I was most nervous for because I was like, what do I wear? Cause the other guy was his, uh, he was like the named partner. <laughs> so <laughs> it was, it was very, I was very, very nervous for dinner. And, um, I honestly probably wasn't even thinking that much about the marathon. And so we start the marathon and we ran together for like the first half. And I was like, you know, what? I feel pretty good. And I'm like, I'm just going to leave it. And go. so I did. And then, and then since it was my first marathon, I think I hit like mile, you know, 24. And I was like, oh no, I don't know if I'm going to finish this. Like, I was like, oh no, oh no. Like majorly bonking, like totally. Like I, it was like downhill and I was like, can I roll? And, um, <laughs> Anyway, I made it across the finish line and you had to run across, like you finished like in a, in a baseball stadium and you ran across, you ran around the bases to finish. And I was like, this is just, this is so mean. But as I'm like running around the bases, like they call your name while you're running and I hear them call his name, my boss. And I'm like, Oh, so he finished like one minute behind (laughs) me. Right. And, and that was like, Oh, he got like, Oh, you can imagine how the office kind of erupted. And, um, (laughs) because I won and, and I was a good athlete. I was like, you know, I'm a good athlete. Like, I don't think that's that shameful. Like, no, I don't think so. That's like a little weird to be like, you're like, you guys know she's like a national champion athlete. Like, right. Like I'm I'm not a very good auditor maybe, but I'm a pretty good athlete. But so he decided we should have a rematch and the rematch was at a local half Ironman. And, so I, um, I, I didn't have a coach at the time. I didn't really know what I was doing. I was actually, I did decide to swim in the 2008 Olympic trials just kind of for fun. I was, I was still, I was working and I started swimming with the Dino masters team. And so it's my training for this half Ironman. I was swimming probably eight times a week running twice and biking once. And you can imagine how that went, but <laughs> But I had a, I mean, I, I did, I was first out of the water. I will take right. that win. And, um, and it was, and then I like, you get passed by so many people, right? Like at first it's like people on really nice bikes. And then it's like people on like, eh, okay, pretty nice bikes. And then it's like people on beach cruisers. <laughs> and, I was like, and then I'm like, is anyone back there? Like, is anyone left? And, and then, um, when I got off the bike, it was like, I think I ran to the end of the parking lot. And then I was like, okay, I think I'm going to start walking now. Cause this was also in Macon, Georgia. It was very hot, but <laughs> I knew that I was like, you know what? If I, if I trained for this, I bet I, it would be a lot more fun. I bet, and I, I bet, I had yeah. A, yeah. I mean, I had a good time and I did still beat him. So <laughs> that was the end of our, our, our races. And, um, so I, I didn't do terrible. I actually did decent considering my training and, um, and then, I, I was really, really lucky to meet some people through Dynamo Masters and my current coach, Matthew Rose from Dynamo Multisport. He was just starting Dynamo Multisport. Betty Janelle, who has been one of my greatest mentors in life and and sport, she was decided to do the half Ironman in Hawaii in 2009 and because she was getting married the next day to her husband Ernie who's just like a diehard Ironman fan and so that was what they were doing and I I wasn't about to go to Hawaii but I decided I would I would actually train for um yeah Yeah. for a a more local race the Gulf Coast before it was Gulf three the Gulf Coast triathlon half half iron distance and she decided she she was going to hire Matthew and 
that is honestly why I hired Matthew. And it's kind of a crazy thing because it turned out so well. And here we are like 12 years later and he's still coaching me. <laughs> and, um, we've, we've really gone a long ways. I'm still really good friends with Betty and she's, um, now still one of my biggest supporters. And so that's kind of, that's kind of how it, things kind of came together, but it was a lot of chance. Like now that yeah. you look back at it like that. And, but I also give myself credit for being, 23, 24 years old and just taking these opportunities and jumping at them. And it was once Betty actually qualified for Kona at that Hawaii 70.3. And then I was like, okay, well, we trained for this together. We need to train for Kona together. So at, you know, I'm 23 years old and I find out at Rhode Island 70.3 has Kona slots, get myself up to Rhode Island, do the race, get a Kona slot. And, And looking back, you're like, that's crazy. But I'm also like, What's crazy is that I like borrowed $2,000 to go to Kona. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't you supposed to be an accountant? Weren't like, weren't like your coworkers like Haley. (laughs) My coworkers thought I was nuts. I remember I told them when I bought my bike, they were, I was like, they were like, how much was it? And I was like five and they're like $500. (laughs) And I was like, yep, 500. (laughs) Cause they were aghast that I had spent that much on a bike, but I, I, I was pretty, I was responsible on that. I set up a savings account and took money out of every paycheck for a year before I bought my first, like my first, you know, real tri bike. And so I, I was like definitely the accountant version of that, but no, my coworkers thought I was nuts, but Hey, that bike was a pretty good investment when yeah. you look at it long-term. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, because then eventually you were like, hey, by the way, you thought that was crazy. I'm going to quit and become a pro triathlete. It's going to be great. Yeah, when that happened, I actually scheduled a meeting with that same boss, the one who had I originally um, run the marathon with. And at that point, I had moved up in the ranks. I was a manager and I, I loved auditing, which I know sounds like a very funny thing to say, but I love my coworkers. I love some of my clients and I just I love the puzzle and but it got to a point where it was, I, I couldn't do both very super well. I couldn't race pro and go to get the time off to go to races all over the world and also uh, do my best at my job. And I recognized that there was a timeline on one of those, like a more urgent timeline on my physical capabilities. And, and it was kind of one of those now or never. So I scheduled this meeting with that boss and and which was probably, I, I walked into his office and he was like, you're quitting, aren't you? <laughs> and so, um, I mean, I, I, he wasn't, no one was surprised. Everyone was very, very supportive. And I, I had a big safety net in okay. that my firm was so supportive. And he even said, you know, in a year, if you don't like it and you want to come back, like you can come back. He was like, Hey, if this doesn't work out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but knowing that, that you left a job and you didn't burn a bridge and right. that people are still supportive. And, and like I said, at trials in Atlanta, which is where the firm was, I had another one of my bosses who was, who actually has done a half Ironman since then. And, but he was out there cheering. And so that was one of the cool things about that race. It was so like bizarre, <laughs> but it was people from all different parts of my life were able to come out and cheer in this like incredible race that just highlighted Atlanta. And so that, that did make that day extra special. And so I, I, it wasn't as scary as it is for some people. I still really admire people who can, you know, really walk like, or just pivot and take a different path. It's hard. It's scary. And it's still scary. You know, I'm six or seven years on and I, there's still days when I'm like, Oh, I wonder what could have been. But then I, (laughs) I think about what I've done with triathlon, the places I've been, the people I've met and 
honestly, like the fitness I have and the health I have right now, which I think that as we're, we're experiencing that in this pandemic, health is a big deal. And so I, I'm so thankful for like the path I've taken. I mean, after you, I mean, let's be clear, like you quit and you became like a full-time pro and you did pretty well. Like you won like an Ironman pretty shortly after that. You won some big races. You went to Kona. You were like first out of the water at Kona. Do you think like being like, okay, I'm all in really made a difference? Like what changed that made like the big difference there? Oh, absolutely. More sleep. More I think sleep. honestly, <laughs> that was the biggest difference. And, um, and then less like work travel. And so I was mm. able to get into a routine that was definitely focused on, uh, you know, maximizing workouts and right. doing workouts at the part of the day that was going to get the most out of me. And then also being able to go to races that I wouldn't have normally, and maybe even like go one day earlier than I normally would have. And that can make a difference. But I did, I, I was, so I, I remember my like going away party. We were at this bar because as accountants do. And someone asked, it was a Thursday and they're like, what are you going to do tomorrow? Are you just going to sleep in? And I was like, no, I'm flying to Texas for Texas 70.3. And and I wouldn't recommend racing your a pro 70.3, like two days after you quit your job, but it was really, really emotional, but I needed that. Like, I am the kind of person that needed to be able to tell that person, like, no, I'm not just sleeping in. I'm going to like right. go do my new job. Like, and then I, um, I did, I won my first race in new Orleans, 70.3, two weeks after I quit my job, which like looking back, that's just insane. No one has that kind of a progression. And I do think it just, it was it was more sleep. And then just this feeling, you know, sometimes when you change things, you get a little bit of a burst of, you know, just things go well for a little while. But I also really, really embraced. Um, I remember going to Brazil that May and I, I recognized in that moment, like I will give myself like as 26, I think I was 26, 27 years old. And I recognized in that moment, I'm like, you're able to do this. Like this moment I'm sitting, this wasn't even the race. I was sitting at dinner before the race with Sarah Gross and Hillary Biscay and Blake Becker. And we were at this Lebanese restaurant in Florianopolis, <laughs> Brazil. And I was like, enjoy this moment. Like take this moment in and just be like, this has been worth it. Like if crazy things happen, which at that time I wasn't even, I was entered as like a man, a pro male. And I wasn't even sure I was going to be counted in results. And I just had, you know, everything was going wrong, but I was like, this is so cool. Like these are incredible people that you get to have dinner with in this incredible place. And you just have to like, enjoy this. And this part has to be worth it. Not necessarily the prize money, not necessarily the results. And, and I've, I won't say I'm perfect. I've lost sight of that during the last six or seven years. Like there's been times where I'm like, ah, you know, the money, all that kind of thing. And, but, uh, most of the time I can bring myself back to moments like that, where I'm like, this is why you did that. And, um, and, and, and I do recognize, like I had a really, really good first pro year, but right, right, it right. was also very hard. <laughs> it was well, a hard yeah. moment, of course. <laughs> Dude, I feel like I had one of those moments in Peru last year where, you know, you're like, this is it. This is like great. This is what this is all about. And I was like, I don't need to do good in this race. This is fine. <laughs> I mean, that shouldn't be like the reason I, mean, I still want to do well, but it was, they were like, what are you going to do? You're entered as a man. And I was like, I don't know. I guess I'll still race. I'm like, and they, they figured out during, I was entered as a Brazilian man. And I was like, my bike was racked with the male pros and everything. But at least in that race, it was, um, 
it was pro men and women. I think actually that was a mass start pro men and women and everybody went together. together Yeah. Back then, which was terrifying because it's a big mob of people and Brazilians are good swimmers. So it was like, that was a, that was an experience, but it's a, yeah, I, I, they figured it out. So it was all good. But I mean, you kind of have to, I mean, that's all that's Iron Man is right. There's like things that happen, like like crazy things that happen. You're always just problem solving and just like, Oh, sometimes also like crossing your fingers that it, it all turns out okay. Right, right. You know, and it went okay. Like obviously your first year, your first, like you had a really good first season. Do you feel like you've had ups and downs since then? How do you kind of like keep the momentum? I feel like a lot of people when they have like a really good beginner beginning, it's, you know, it can be rough kind of coming off of that. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I mean, when I look at 2013, 2014, like I raced so much that first year and it was the point system and trying to qualify for Kona and trying to like get my foot in the door, trying to get sponsors and make a living out of this was, it took a toll. And I ended up ended 2013, like really, really tired. And it was, um, it probably took me like until the end of 2014 to when I, I did go to, I went back to Brazil and I raced Fortaleza and challenged Florianopolis. And I went to the Brazil for a month and that was also in my mind at that time. I think it was kind of a last hurrah. I was okay. like, okay, I'm, you know, I like things haven't been going as well this year and, and I'm going to take a month, go to Brazil, race these two crazy races. And, and then I've, I won for Deleza, which was like a huge shock. And I put together what still might be probably my best Ironman of my career. Maybe, I don't know when I went back in Ironman Brazil in 2017 <laughs> was pretty good, but it was just a very complete race. I, I raced completely to my training and that's something that doesn't always happen. Right. And it wasn't like anything magical happened. I just had trained really well for that race. And I also like anticipated that it would be really hot. And I did a really good job with heat management and fluids. And I just like checked the boxes and came up with this incredible result. And I think that that was a moment where I was like, okay, like this can go well. But then of course, 2015, I got hit by a car and that was like a major down. I mean, I didn't, I really didn't know if I would race again after that. Like, I mean, it was bad. It was pretty bad. Yeah. Physically. And like, even more mentally, like it took me a long time to like, to really, um, you know, know if I wanted to do this again, because I was, I remember I was like, you know what? Like this didn't happen when I was an auditor. <laughs> you know, like this is terrible. Like it was terrible. I'm like, and so it was that was hard. And a lot of like soul searching and talking to people and trusted advisors and therapy and just getting myself to like w- really understand why, why I was doing this. And so to come back from that, I think also when I look back is like incredible. So it has not been a bunch of ups and downs. It has been <laughs> a lot of uh, of you know, kind of figuring things out. And then also like really coming to terms with like growing up and figuring out why I'm doing this and really thinking about those moments and the places I've been and the people I've met. And, and that's been, I mean, 2017 was like such an incredible year where I raced all over the world. And I still like look back at that. I'm like, how did I do that? And then now I look back at that during a pandemic where I can't, you know, I, I haven't driven more than like 15 miles and like months. And I'm like, wow, I'm so glad I took that year and did that because who knows the next time I'll be able to go to Brazil or Chile or China or, you know, Australia. I like, didn't you do the one like, yeah, way down by Patagonia, like super Southern. Yeah. Bariloche I did in 2019, which was incredible. In 2016, I did Iceland, which was another (laughs) incredible one. So I have done, I think 
the 70.3s at least at the like highest and or like the most northernmost and southernmost like okay. latitudes. So that's maybe I should put that as my claim to fame. I um, should definitely be your lead now. Yeah. Like your <laughs> one liner. <laughs> They're incredible. If anyone the race in Iceland doesn't isn't happening anymore. But oh, if anyone I, I do think triathlon is a great way to like see the world and go to places I never would have <laughs> never would have ever gone before. All right, what's and, your favorite then? What's your favorite race place? That's such a hard, that's such a hard question, but I loved Iceland because it reminded me a lot of Montana, which I know sounds crazy, but just like the wildness of it, the geysers, okay. it was just so different. And it was, it was a miserable bike ride. Like I was freezing cold. It was so cold, but then you're running. And I just remember like the air was so clean that I was like breathing in and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is so crazy. Like you're at sea level and the air is so like clean. And I was like, wow, I just feel like the oxygen is just flowing in. Um, <laughs> So that was incredible. Bariloche, which is still a race, is is also an incredible. It's it's different in that like the bike is very very, the the swim is just like it looks fake. Like the where you are, it looks fake. It's so beautiful and it's cold. I really do enjoy the cold water swims. And then the bike is like really kind of technical, which de- wouldn't think would suit me, but it was really windy and I ride in a lot of wind here in Montana, so I think that helped me a lot. And then the run is is was pretty flat and fast and you're just like running up and down by this like incredible lake. And, um, so I, I did enjoy it. And then they had a chocolate fountain and chocolate metals, which is like the way to my heart. So all the chocolate and cheese, like chocolate and cheese and beer. Like, I mean, that was probably the best post-race celebration. And I don't know, South America definitely has a a special place in my heart. I have raced in Brazil many times and that's not by accident, but the local races, like the Coeur d'Alene's, mm-hmm. that's always a special one. For oh, me yeah, because you won Coeur d'Alene a couple times, right? Yes. And, you know, that's what like when I talk about trials. I love having, like, people I know around. I mean, it's for <laughs> as much as, like, I've gone to races by myself and kind of made friends in, in faraway places, I think I do love seeing a familiar face out there. So I, I, Coeur d'Alene will always have a special place in my heart, too. And it's nice to be able to drive because you can just, like, pack so much into the car, right? And you're just like, yes, I need my toaster and a coffee maker. And... <laughs> Seven like pairs of shoes just in case. <laughs> I feel like you do not have trouble making friends at races. I feel like this is not a problem for Haley. <laughs> My problem is that a lot of the times I like talk too much after the race, right? And then then awards come around and, and if I'm hopefully on the podium, I'm the only one still in my kit and everyone else has gone and changed and they're like beautiful looking. And I'm like still have like Coke smeared all over me or whatever. Um, you know, it's like my noon hydration or my goose. I don't know. But it, I, the thing about, I, I do wear kind of bright colors. I love bright colors. So we're the green and yellow and now we've added some pink, but it's, that's how people recognize me, right? If they can't hear my voice, they recognize me. And then I just like chatting with people, especially post race. I mean, that's the biggest thing. That's what I struggle with in the pandemic is like, <laughs> you can't socialize after race like even if they have a race and everyone's wearing masks and you're supposed to like social distance and get a ray I'm like oh how what is this how is this gonna work but obviously bigger <laughs> bigger issues than that during this pandemic right, right, I'm not right, making light right. of it but um I do miss the post the post race socialization is is some of my favorite times so that's not, that's not what happened in your Ironman VR race it's you guys didn't like hang out <laughs> after <laughs> Yeah, I had one person, Vanessa, who is my athlete and my neighbor. She came over the Ironman VR race. Yes, that I had a post race buzz off of that. I really? will say, okay. like, yes, because well, and I'll, the one unfortunate thing I, I 
I did it the week before they started adding in the swim. Wish uh, I had an s- opportunity to do a swim there. That's kind of fun how they added the swim. But um, I, so the behind the scenes on that, so we did a, a 3K run, which we had to do early in the week. And I asked my parents to film me. My parents are in their 60s. They're awesome. But asking like, you know, my parents to film 3K running was the logistics behind that were <laughs> way so hard, right? And they're so nervous about it. So my dad was like driving his truck, driving a truck. And then my mom was in the bed of the truck with her iPhone. And they're so nervous. And so we like, it was also, they dropped me off on this road. So I'm like, I'm going to do an out and back. Like I'm going to run up and run down because it couldn't be net downhill. So I'm going right. to, you know, that will be zero. If I run slightly uphill up and then slightly downhill back. And, um, it was so windy that morning. Like it's so windy. I was just like, but this is the one time we can do it. And so he drops me off and he's like, ready, go. And I was like, I gotta warm up. (laughs) You know, I'm like, there's actually something that goes into this. And he's like, I'm ready to go though. And I'm like, okay, so we're going and I'm running like into the wind going slightly uphill. And I felt really good for like about like a little, like maybe half a mile. (laughs) And then I, you know, everything starts going. And then my dad's like, he's like, I'm not turning around. I don't know how I can't turn around. Like it's too hard. And so (laughs) we like make an auto, like a decision mid race to just keep going uphill. So I do the whole three K uphill. Like I was looking at my watch. I mean, cause in your brain, like three K doesn't sound that bad. Like I just ran a marathon and like 1.9 miles or 1.86 or something like that. And I was like, I'll run to 1.9 to make sure it's good. I'm like looking at my watch. I'm like, am I going to make 1.86? Like, am I going to make it? Like, I'm like 1.85. I was like, oh my God. Like, I think that my mom actually cut off the, um, she did cut off the filming because I like, I immediately like lay down in the middle of the road and I was just like, so beat down. I was like uphill in this wind, like my parents stressing about the filming. And I was like, Oh gosh, but it got hit. My, it was great footage. I good, my mom good. did a great job. And then the bike part we did a couple of days later and my friend Vanessa came over, which at first I was like, oh, I can handle this myself. I don't need an assistant. And, um, <laughs> I'm so glad I had an assistant because I, the Wi-Fi, like, you know, I mean, Wi-Fi isn't totally good. And I was so impressed with Iron Man and this team they have working on these things because the logistics behind the scenes, we had a pro meeting. It felt just like a pro meeting. And, and I was nervous that morning and getting into your actual race kit and then like riding the course. I mean, and it was hard. I mean, that's definitely the hardest hour I've ridden in 2020. And, um, I wasn't like totally, uh, I, I, I would strategize things a little different okay. if I did it again. Okay. And, um, there is some strategy, I think to the, the virtual racing that is not exactly identical to, uh, outdoor racing, but it was, it was fun. Like it was really fun. It was incredibly hard. And afterwards I did, Vanessa and I got some, uh, breakfast. So we, we, it was a mini celebration, a mini celebration. <laughs> but I was very thankful to have her there. Cause at one point I think like you can hear them, but like you can't hear really well. And so it was like one of those things where I'd like hear something about like Montana and I'm like, Oh, they're talking about me. And I'm like, ha ha hi. And they're like asking you questions. And I'm like, I'm dying. Like, <laughs> But I, I'm impressed with Michael Lovato. I'm impressed with Didi Griesbaum. I'm impressed with the whole team, how they've been pulling those off. And it is fun to watch them kind of with some context after you've done right, it and you realize right. how hard it is. And then you're like, how is that person so calmly talking? I'm like, what in the world? What did they put in for their weight? What did they kidding. put in for their weight? I mean, there's a lot of behind the scenes logistics for sure on that. I didn't realize, too, that they're paying everybody who's doing them, which is cool. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. There's like a base salary, which is awesome. I mean, very much appreciated. Although at certain points when I was dealing with my parents and those logistics, I was like, this is not worth the money. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but it, um, and there were preems like, and right. I think Meredith Kessler won all the preems in mine right. and right. which is not totally unexpected. That's a, I mean, huh, Meredith Kessler wins a lot. So right. it's fine. I, it, Maybe if I were to do it again, maybe I would try to strategize and be like, go for a preem overall, not not worry about the overall. But that's hard to do. I don't know. It's a <laughs> it's hard, hard like psychological do. thing. Like, you know, it's um, I don't know. If there was like a swim preem or a run preem, maybe do that. But it's also like I'm at altitude and I'm dealing with like I'm like, I, where's, where's my altitude adjustment? <laughs> I know. I know. That's what the people here in Boulder have been complaining about. They're like, oh, well, we're at altitude. This isn't fair. <laughs> You're like, well, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's, well, they, they acknowledge it's not a level playing field. I will say that. I think Paula newbie Frazier, when she was like, when we're doing our pro meeting, she's like, it's not a level playing field. We know that it is for fun. And that's why the preems are, they're not ex- extravagant, um, right. you know, to the point where you'd really be incentivized to like fly to low altitude to do this or something like that. For $200. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. <laughs> during, this whole, during this whole pandemic, though, I mean, you, we, we mentioned at the top that you are the host of the Iron Women podcast. You guys have been doing so many things. You've been doing all these little like mini episodes during the pandemic. I feel like I've been learning a lot. You did like one with like a doctor. You did one a whole one about the behind the scenes, of the VR racing. You've done ones about like COVID and health. I've been, you've just been wor- I've been like, how is Haley doing these? There's so many. I know it's, I I've been asking myself the same question. I'm like, how are you doing these? Like, um, it started out, it was only supposed to be like one with a couple doctors. And I was like, you know what? I just want to like, I want to, I I was like, I just want to talk to some doctors about what's going on. I have some questions. (laughs) Right. For like doctors who are triathletes about specific, cause I, you can watch the news and they're talking about like, you know, COVID in, in terms of more mass, like, population issues right. uh, versus triathlon. And I was like, you know what? I bet I know some doctors and so, um, and nurses and people in healthcare who would, who would answer some questions. So that's kind of how it started. And then I realized I had more questions and I was like, can my dog cowboy get COVID? Can, <laughs> you know, like, what is it like to have COVID? I know that you talked to Tams and Lewis too, and yeah. that's a fascinating story. And, and then it's kind of evolved into like, what, what are other people doing right now? And what is it like in other parts of the world? Because, it's such a bizarre, it's yeah. a bizarre situation, right? This global pandemic. And, and then I have enjoyed shorter podcasts to be honest. I love talking a lot, obviously, <laughs> obviously, but, um, and there's a part of me that's like, I'm not doing the long drives in the car and that right. kind of thing, going to races where I want to listen to like a two hour show, but I do a lot of dog walking. And so I was like, this is a dog walk podcast. You know, it's 15 minutes, like, l- you know, just listen a few questions and, and it, it has been kind of fun that way. I mean, there's days when I do, you go for a long run now and it's like, okay, I want longer, longer well, episodes. So we still do the regular iron women episodes. And I still enjoy chatting with Alyssa Gadeski, who has just been doing insane things lately. She just and did a, as, yeah, like a fastest known time of a whole bunch of peaks, whatever. We're going to do a story about her next week, but yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. It's, it's a great story, but, um, but yeah, so it's been, it's been a good way. And also to like kind of stay engaged with the triathlon community because I am someone who is fairly social. And so this has been a, a bizarre time for me to like not be at races, not getting that socialization at races. And, um, 
I, you know, it, it can be hard. And so I think that finding these ways to kind of virtually still keep in touch with the triathlon community has been really good for my own mental health and kept me going, you know, gets me out the door for a lot of these runs. And, and hopefully people feel like, you know, I'm, I'm still there for them, maybe in a little way <laughs> chatting along. Like, <laughs> Is this going to be your, po- well, what are you going to do after you retire from triathlon? Are you going to go become an accountant again? Is this going to be, are you gonna become a podcaster or what's your, what's your future here? Oh my goodness. That's like a huge question. I, I know, don't know. I know. Uh, I mean, probably I'm probably going to be like the audit podcaster. <laughs> we'll think about that. A podcast about think... auditing. Would you listen to that? Well, <laughs> I hear like podcasting long tail. It's a niche market, right? I don't think there are a lot of those. So maybe you could own that market. <laughs> What about for triathletes who get audited? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just going to combine everything to like this very small, very like, very um like just committed group. But right. um yeah, who knows? I mean, I think that's one of the crazy things. I think I was, when I was standing on that start line for the marathon trials and I was thinking of myself, I thought of myself as a swimmer for so long. And if you would have asked me, you know, tw- you know 15 years ago that I would still be like at an Olympic trials, like, or 16 years later, I would never have believed you. If you would have told me that I still swim, that I still get up at five in the morning and get to the pool and go swimming. If you would have told me that when I was 20, I would have said, you're crazy. I'm going to sleep in for the rest of my life. I am never getting dressed in another locker room ever. And here I am, you know, age 35 still, I don't get actually now I avoid the locker rooms during COVID times, but I'm still at the pool (laughs) and, um, you know, and still doing some times that I'm actually quite impressed with. Like, (laughs) I think that's, yeah, I, I mean, I feel like I have a very healthy, um, grasp on like aging and aging in sport. And I will give myself credit for that because it's, I, I know I'm never going to swim the 200 backstroke like I did then, but I am shocked at how fast I can still go and like how fast I can go in freestyle now. And no, they're not the times I went in college, but that's okay because you know what? I could barely run a mile in college and now I can run 26.2 miles in two hours and 43 minutes. So, you know, it's life is full of surprises. So who knows? What do you think is going to come after podcasting? I mean, we kind of went from oh, blogging yeah, to podcasting. Oh, yeah, it's going to be a new thing. I think webinars, I right? Isn't like webinars the next big thing? Happy hour Zooms. Oh. That's going to be, that's the future. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. The live, I like that things can be edited. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm editing like this. Pretty- this is going to be pure Haley. So there. Um, uh, no, but I, I like it when I, when I, I've been editing the iron women lately and, um, I edit myself the most harshly and, and some people are like, Oh, I hate listening to myself talk. And I'm like, Oh, I love it. And I'm like, why did you say that weird word? You know? And I like edit that out and I'm like, yes, I'm so glad I have control over this. And no one heard me mispronounce that person's name. Although men's pronunciations are fun sometimes. Yeah. I did ask my editor this morning if I was swallowing weird. And he was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. no, podcasting has been fun though. I mean, it has, it's, uh, I'm glad that it's, it's growing. I'm glad that you all started this podcast because I think it is, it's how we, I don't know, I consume a lot of information that way. And and it is, it's fun. I enjoy sometimes, sometimes I want to hear music when I'm doing a ride Mm -hmm. or a run. Um, but sometimes I do want to hear someone talk to me and, and that is like, you know, especially if you're doing like an aerobic ride or aerobic run on the trainer or whatever, like it's, it's like, ah, I get to like chat with Kelly and yeah. it's just like, it's just like we're sitting right next to each other, right? At a race, after a race, hanging out. But then you're so popular, you don't know at your, uh, when someone's like, hey, I listened to you on Iron Woman, you don't know if you've actually told them the story or if they just heard it on a podcast. 
I'm fine telling stories multiple times. I feel (laughs) I'm, I'm not worried about, (laughs) I'm not worried about that as any of my friends probably know, as you probably know, but, um, there's certain stories that I'm like, I love hearing them. So you're going to hear it again too, but that doesn't, yeah, that doesn't bother me at all. But hopefully, hopefully my retirement days are, are a bit in the future. I'm hopeful that race will come back and I get another, I have a few things in triathlon I still want to do. And I see that. Um, and there's still some races and there's places I haven't been. And, and so that kind of keeps me going. And so we'll see. And then you have, you know, you have the, the women out there that VR race, every woman in that race, I got fourth out of four and every other woman was older than me. So I'm like, Oh man, maybe I can get faster. What do you think? Oh yeah. The women are getting, staying fast through like 40, 42 now, like DD just DD one Ultraman at like 50. I know. Right. Like. I mean, that's what I think. I'm like, Didi's me like 15 years down the road. And I'm like, I look at Didi and I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't imagine doing Ultraman in 15 years. But then I think back to 15 years ago, me, and I'm like, who knows? Who knows? Life is crazy. So, um, (laughs) I know it is. And Didi's showing like, man, you're like, she, one, she's held on to her swim so well. And then her cycling, I feel like has gotten better. Yeah. And better, like as she's gotten older and that's really impressive to watch. And, and so who knows what happens, but hopefully I'm still chatting with you 15 years from now. We're still, we're still talking. Maybe we'll have like futuristic microphones and like, it'll be like a hologram in my, in my office. And I'll just be like, you can like, I can give you a cup of coffee or something. (laughs) You live by yourself, don't you? I do. So I this is. I was wondering dog, with your dog, have, right? But like during all of this, you've been pretty by yourself, haven't you? Yes. Can you tell? Is that like, <laughs> like social interaction? <laughs> yeah, I know, and that's a crazy thing. Like I, it is. Um, it is kind of a crazy thing when you realize like how much of my social life came from like the pool or like group rides, group runs, that kind of thing. Which when those go went away, it was hard. And, um the pool, our pool here in Bozeman has been open and that's been, you know, it's good. They, uh, it's, it's interesting. I mean, our cases are, uh, I don't know what you, I don't know what you would call them. I don't know what's good or bad, but Bozeman's pretty touristy. So it's not, our cases aren't zero, but, um, so far everyone I know has been healthy and that's, I'm very, very thankful for that. And I'm thankful that I can go to the pool and that they're taking measures to keep us safe. And, and I'm, I'm impressed with my swim that, you know, that was the longest break I've probably taken since like third grade, um, having the pools closed here. And so I'm actually impressed with how my swim has come back. And really? so, okay. yeah, and that's kind of a cool experiment, right. That I didn't intend to do, but, um, and then I, I coach athletes. And so it's been interesting seeing people come back from breaks and, and, you know, the more experienced swimmers versus the newer swimmers and, and how, the breaks have affected people differently. And then also just everyone has such a different situation with their pool right now. Right, some people right. have reservations. Some people can do one person per lane. Some people have, you know, free for all. Some people don't even still don't have a pool. Right, so right. it's, um, I mean, that's definitely an interesting situation that we're in right now where the pool situation is so different for everyone, but pools are a hard one anyway. It's different in every community anyway. And, um, and people are always dealing with, I mean, pool hours are I like know. the worst, right? The worst. Like, and like, availability and how many people are in your lane are people respecting the fast lane or the slow lane or all that kind of stuff but i've been yelled at for being in a medium lane before you are not a medium <laughs> speed person i got news I was for you medium this day <laughs> this day i was swimming very medium but um anyway i deserved it but it's uh yeah it's been it's been interesting but i think like you said the zoom meetings the zoom happy hours have it is amazing that that can give you some social interaction yeah. and and like i said cowboy the dog 
you know, he's been a great, great, great companion during this time. And so I'm very, very thankful for him because otherwise imagine how long I'd be talking. <laughs> oh yeah. No, it's crazy when you talk to people who haven't talked to anybody in a while. <laughs> they talk a lot. <laughs> I talk a lot anyway, though, Kelly. I mean, you've met me like, even when I've been like, ah, I've been talking for hours, I can keep going. But um, that's like my secret skill. It's something I've worked hard on. And, you know, I practiced it. You got to keep practicing your your talking endurance, just like everything else in life. All right. We usually finish with a would you rather. So here's my my would you rather for you. You ready? Would you rather win a swimming race, a running race or triathlon? A triathlon right now. <laughs> right now. I mean, yeah, like I think that, I mean, that puts together all of my loves. Oh, and okay. it is, um, I mean, there's something special about a triathlon, right? It's it's putting together like three sports that don't always go together. They test different skills. They test your brain, usually test your stomach as well. And um, there is definitely something special about that. I mean, the, the few oh. Ironmans, and 70.3s and, um, or just, just triathlon races in general, where I have gotten to run across the finish line first and like break the tape. And, and when I've had a a kind of a big enough gap to, to appreciate it, I think I've done a good job. There's been a couple that were a little close and I was like, I had one photographer who's like, you didn't do a very good job. And I was like, she was right behind me. (laughs) The photographer was not my thought, but, um, uh, that is something like, And even when you haven't, when you're not winning, I mean, it's one of those things that when you cross that finish line, sometimes I have been like, wow, I did all of that, like under my own power. How incredible is that? (laughs) And the things I got to see and and the things I worked through during that and I made it. And, and that's like a feeling I definitely don't take for granted. Not that you don't get that in a swimming race or a running race, but swimming races are too short to like really appreciate anything. Most of them, again, I never really swam the 1500. Maybe that one you can like, maybe Katie Ledeck is really. Oh, I think she's got some time. Yeah. To think about things. (laughs) I don't 50. She's like, oh, I just appreciate all this. Look at her. Around waving blowing kisses, but um, but yeah, so maybe some people are doing that, but I think that's been a really, really that like I, there is something special about the the triathlon finish line, any distance, because even a sprint is quite long. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's like an hour, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us, Haley, and uh, and you know, good luck with with staying on your solo quarantine ish situation. Thank you, Kelly. I hope I get to talk your ear off in person in the not too distant future. We will we'll have lots to catch up on by then, I'm sure. Thanks to Haley and to Jurgen for all their insight and laughs. And a thanks to MitoQ for sponsoring this episode. And remember, as a loyal Triathlete Hour listener, if you want more insight like what was discussed here, you can become a member of Triathlete Pass using the code TRIHOUR15 at triathlete.com backslash activepass. Stay healthy and keep training wherever you are.